0: Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of SwitchCast, a podcast delving into the world of film brought to you by the team at Switch. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Charlie David-Page.
1: I'm Jess Fenton.
0: I'm Daniel Lammon. And I'm Brent Davidson. It's Thursday the 13th of July 2017, and on this week's show, I interview the creators of a new Australian indie drama shot in one continuous take.
2: Technically, everything could have gone wrong. We definitely pushed all of our creative power together and, yeah, come up with this film.
3: We'll take a look at the top films at this year's Melbourne International Film Festival following the reveal of its massive program.
1: And I raise the existential dilemma, does a film succeed or fail based on reviews, or is there more to it? We tackle the impact of Rotten Tomatoes, is it Hollywood's friend or foe?
4: And as always, all our reviews and giveaways. Let's get straight
0: into it with Baby Driver, director Edgar Wright's first film since 2013's The World's End. Daniel took this one for a spin, so what did you think?
3: Ladies and gentlemen, right now I've got to tell you about the fabulous, most groovy, Baby Driver. The latest film from the insanely imaginative Edgar Wright, Baby Driver is the story of a young getaway driver named Baby, who spends almost every waking hour listening to music. When he meets waitress Deborah, he decides to leave the crime world behind, but that proves to be more dangerous than he ever expected.
2: What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y (laughs) Baby. In this business, the moment you catch films, is the moment you catch a bullet.
3: Featuring a star-making performance from Ansel Elgort as Baby, an impossibly cool soundtrack, and the most sublime car chases in years, Baby Driver is a full-throttle wonder, somewhere between a 70s action film and a classic MGM musical. Every aspect of the film, from its cinematography to its editing to its costume design, is at the top of its game, and Wright's impeccable direction demonstrates a startling singularity of vision that keeps you gripped from the first frame to the last. Elgort is also supported by a superb ensemble, including Lily James, Kevin Spacey, Jamie Foxx, and John Hamm. It's thrilling, hilarious, arresting, heartwarming, nerve-wracking, and consistently breathtaking, and easily one of the best films so far this year. I know I'm going to fall more and more in love with it every time I see it. I'm giving it five very enthusiastic stars. That
0: is a big call from Daniel And Baby Driver really has one of the most Impressive and diverse soundtracks In ages, there are tracks from James Brown, from Queen Blur, Simon and Garfunkel uh, Danger Mouse, Run the Jewels Barry White uh, The Beach Boys, I mean it sounds like An absurd mix, but it really Elevates
3: this film into a Totally unique genre. And the way That uh, Wright has kind of curated The soundtrack for the film is very, very Impressive. A lot of uh, Reviewers in the States have been equating it to a kind of musical, Um, not in that people break out into song, but that there's a beautiful marriage between the use of the music and the action on screen, Uh, sometimes in really blatantly obvious ways that are really funny and really clever, uh, and then in some very subtle, uh, very sublime way, particularly with the car chases, they feel almost balletic, uh, like you're watching a Gene Kelly dance number. Yeah, the music is an integral part of the narrative and the storytelling. So that's, I think, that's one of the reasons why it feels like it could almost be a musical.
1: It's almost like another character. Mm. Yeah, like I reckon, like what, when I watched it the other day, I sort of imagined that there was a, a script for the dialogue and a script just for the music with all the lyrics laid out. They are so perfectly married with the action and the dialogue. It really is quite incredible.
3: And there's a, a credit in uh, that there's a credit in the film for a choreographer. So there's actually been serious thought. Uh, considered in terms of how movement um, and rhythm become part of the of the action for the for the actors and for what's happening on screen, it's very similar to what um, Joe Wright did with his uh, film of Anna Karenina, which was entirely choreographed. Every single move in that film was choreographed with an inch of its life. It's a similar thing with this film, and it's even more impressive because you have the kinetic energy of cars moving through, sp- and the way that um, Bill Pope, the cinematographer, shoots it is just so fresh and exciting. Yeah, I could not have loved this film more than I did.
1: But the music does feel a lot more organic than, say, a choreographed musical because you are seeing the film from Baby's perspective, and it's all it's what it's the music he listens to, and the way and the music he lives his life to. So it is more organic, and um, it's yeah, it's really enjoyable.
3: Yeah, and it contributes a lot to understanding how to read Baby as a character. The way Ansel Elgort Mm. plays him is often quite guarded. Um, There are moments where he very stoic. yeah, and there are moments where he lets that guard down, and you get to see the the humor and the heart in his character. But we get a lot of information from from the music that Baby listens to. the 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 music in the film is not just there to uh, you know yeah. to Their add emotional to the drama. Cues. Yeah, like they're there it's it's he's it's as much a part of his character as the dialogue, the yeah. the, the beautiful dialogue that he writes written
1: for absolutely. Him.
0: And this certainly seems like a role that Ilgort uh, has not played before. Everything else before has been quite
3: light. This seems a really, really meaty role for him, and he steps into it so beautifully. He, you know, we're so used to seeing him as a romantic or a supporting character. He almost—it's almost a James Dean-style performance. He just—it cuts such an iconic silhouette in the film, uh, and it, he's almost in every single shot in the film, and every, you just can't take your eyes off him. He really commands. Your attention and is very much in step with the style and the rhythm that Edgar Wright has established for the film. There's a it's a beautiful marriage between an actor and the director um, and all the ent- the ensemble in general. Um, as much as uh, Elgott has to be the everyman centre of the film, you have performances like Kevin Spacey's and um, Jamie Foxx's and John Hams, which are slightly more operatic in their tone, but they're still in perfect step with the operatic nature of the entire film. Uh, I would not be surprised if this changes a lot of people's opinions of what Elgort can do and kind of propels him further forward than his previous work has.
4: More than just his DJing?
3: Well, I wonder whether or not, because one thing I'm really intrigued by is at what, at what point the music, the, the songs and the music became part of the development of the character for him. Because yeah, he, he's a DJ. Like he's a DJ, he writes music. He has comes from a very musical background and a little bit of a dance background as well. Uh, so I wonder whether or not that's probably helped amplify his performance and given it the kind of integrity that it has because he understands music in in Isn't he? He's a Hollywood baby though, really. Yeah, I mean he, I think he's 22 years old, I think.
4: Oh no, but I mean like his family works in the industry as well. Yeah, I think his, um, his father a is a photographer. Yeah, his father's a photographer and I think his, his mum is a director. A yeah, so he's come from the stock. Yeah. yeah.
1: I have a question for you. Edgar Wright is a British filmmaker. Would this film have worked the same way if it was set... In Britain, somewhere instead of Atlanta in in the states. I don't think
3: so. I think it. I think it's Americanism is what makes it really fascinating. It's his first American film because uh, all of the Cornetto trilogy films are British, and Scott Kil- Scott Pilgrim was Canadian. Um, so no, I think the car culture from the U.S. and the crime culture from the U.S. and the music inform a lot of this film. So no, I think the fact that it's American adds to it. I don't think it would have been as mm-hmm. strong as a British film. Agreed. You can find Baby Driver in cinemas now and my full review at maketheswitch.com.au And check out the show's notes at switchcast.com.au for a link to the film's soundtrack to enjoy it for yourself.
0: Also in cinemas today is Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled, with an amazing cast including Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, Colin Farrell and Elle Fanning. Daniel took a look at this Civil War drama, so what did you think?
3: Look, I know it's going to sound like I just love everything by starting our first podcast with two glowing reviews, but I spent most of this film writhing in my seat with absolute delight. Set during the American Civil War, Sophia Coppola's The Beguiled is an intoxicating gothic fable where a small isolated girl's school in Virginia is thrown into chaos when an injured Yankee soldier seeks refuge with them. You're a most
0: unwelcome visitor, and we do not propose to entertain you.
5: You'll find them Easily amused.
0: You won't be here long enough for that.
5: How did you end up in this
2: place?
0: Why are you so interested in me?
2: I admire your
3: strength.
0: I'm just trying to give them what they need to survive in these times.
3: Featuring an extraordinary female cast including Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst and Elle Fanning, this is Coppola's most masterful film to date. A complex allegorical riddle that refuses to play to the traditional concepts of victim and oppressor guilty and innocent, right and wrong. The cinematography is extraordinary, the production design is stunning, and Coppola's award-winning direction is razor-sharp and unforgiving, resulting in an exhilarating mix of high melodrama and palpable dread. I found myself totally beguiled by The Beguiled, its audacity, its intelligence, and its biting wit, placing it as another of the best films of the year. And as such, it also gets five stars from me.
0: This is such an exceptionally strong female cast. Brent, it's
4: great to see this kind of representation on screen, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, uh, very rarely do we get a female director with a female ensemble that is just so kick-ass. Let's be honest. Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, like Ellie Fanning. Could we want anything more? It's, it's, It's just wonderful to see.
3: And it's a, it's a remake, but this time it's changed from the female perspective as opposed to the male perspective, which is obviously something that has been a massive feature of Sophia Coppola's films. A lot of her strongest films have had female protagonists and been told through female um true female voices i
0: think it's uh it's probably going to be one of those films which will also uh, end up bringing a great deal of attention again to nicole kidman she certainly has uh just had a golden streak at the moment i mean some people would argue that she's never really stepped away from the big screen but the the latest run of films and even tv that she has done has been top notch it's been five
3: star well she's always worked with really fascinating directors she's all you know, like. Um, in her early days with Gus Van Sant, and then working with um, Lars von Trier, um, Lee Daniels. She's always gone for interesting choices, which sometimes don't necessarily mean uh, commercially exciting choices. And I think, like I would argue, I'm always one of those people that's argue that she's never she's never gone away, and she's always been thrilling to watch. Uh, it's just now that everyone's starting to notice that the arthouse component of her career is just as, if not more exciting than the big budget stuff that she used to do in the 90s and the early 2000s.
1: Nicole Kidman is one of the most prolific actors around like a yeah. lot of people you wouldn't have even a lot of people wouldn't have even heard of half the things that she does but if you look at her filmography go to imdb it is incredible but one of the th- things i find most fascinating about her and her career is that she doesn't make commercial films mm. yet she is so well known um so lo- actually she's quite divisive some people they either love her or hate her but they watch her regardless but she makes these indie films she makes really risky choices as an actor um but she is so revered and awarded but she's not really bankable i find that really fascinating but
3: then like look at her transition to television and she chooses to make it with a series like big little lies like a magnificent another magnificent ensemble female drama uh also mm. originally written by a yeah, woman, an Austra- well. Australian an Australian woman. woman An
4: Australian woman
3: uh, But just the fact that in even in a cast That includes people like Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern And Shailene Woodley mm. The work that Nicole Kidman does in that series Is also just so remarkable um, It's funny hearing people talk about This kind of renaissance of you know, you know, Resurgence of Nicole Kidman Because yeah, if you look at the strength of her Career, it's always been there It's just now people seem to have started To pay attention again as they should.
4: I think a lot of the stuff she's doing now is, a. don't know I'm not one of the people who's believed she's been strong, strong, strong all the time Uh, like I found a lot of the films, especially early on felt very samey to me. It was really only from the others. Her performance in the others changed Mm. my opinion of her and I think since then it's sort of almost been strength to strength. I said this before and I'll say it again, I wasn't a fan of Moulin Rouge. Kill me if you want whatever. (laughs) I'm coming Um, for you. But in terms of you know other things like Australia wasn't she great but then we get to these things that are coming out now i i couldn't praise big little lies enough like that was just sublime acting and she's a she's a brilliant person but i feel
1: nicole has always been consistent as an actor and in her in her performances it's her choices in the projects that she makes that are that can be questionable
3: with all that in mind um the beguiled is in cinemas now so you can go and check out more amazing work from nicole kimmon and this exceptional cast and exceptional director and don't miss my full review at makeswitch.com.au.
0: Well, that is what is in cinemas now, and for what's coming up, it's time for our trailer wrap. First up, The Greatest Showman. P.T.
4: Barnum, at your service. I'm putting together a show. And I need a star. Every one of us is special.
0: And nobody is like anyone else. That's the point of my show.
3: Bertie, showtime. find this trailer really odd in that it's that weird thing that musical trailers do where they try to hide the fact they're a musical, and it's a little mm. aggravating to look at. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there's lots of dancing in this trailer. It's very dynamic, but you still feel like you're kind of being li- a little bit lied to by if you know what the film is.
1: There's nothing that features in the trailer to grab you, to hold to hold on to for the next taste no. or the release date in general. Like, I just sort of watched it and, and went, what the hell like, did I just see and then walked away? It's
3: not like its musical credentials are anything to hide. I mean, the music is written by Pascal and Paul, who wrote the lyrics to all of the songs in La La Land and won an Oscar for it and wrote the score for Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway and just won a Tony for it. These guys are not slouches. You'd think that those two... Like works being now being kind of cultural touchstones at the moment would be a reason to kind of push that, but yet it feels like oh, we God. get it as a generic pop song.
0: Perhaps it's less about that and more about holding their aces up their sleeves. We have so many complaints about trailers these days which just give away the entire film and maybe what they're trying to do with this particular film, especially for its first trailer, is just to give us a sneak peek not to reveal the whole yeah, show. Yeah, maybe.
3: That's true. But I I'm, I just, you know, even a film, even the trailers for a film like um, Beauty and the Beast still somehow try to hide the fact it was a musical even though it's based on a twenty. 20- five-year-old classic musical. Um yeah, I guess we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how they choose to publicise this film as it goes ahead because this first trailer, as showy as it is, is not the best uh, encouragement for it.
1: No, I also... I did make note of this. It features Zac Efron and Hugh Jackman. Logan aside, when was the last time either of these guys made a good film?
3: Yeah, well, The, the Prestige is the last great film that Hugh Jackman made.
1: Yeah.
4: I would say... Bad Neighbours wasn't too bad. I quite enjoyed Zac Efron in mm, that, but he hasn't done... Or oh, what was that one he did with Nicole oh, Kidman? Oh, The
3: Paperboy. Paperboy. Film. Fabulous film. <laughs> great yeah. film. The Paperboy is his only real drama role. It's such a great film. Oh,
1: Anybody oh, listening, if listening and you've
3: never watched seeing The Paperboy, go see The Paperboy. It's so yeah. damn good. Yeah.
1: If you want to never look at Nicole Kidman the same way again, go see The Paperboy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Another amazing role from Nicole Kidman. <laughs> the She's surprise. ballsy. Right?
1: She's ballsy. I'll give you that. She never ma- she never plays the same character twice, yeah.
0: Well, The Greatest Showman is in cinemas on Boxing Day in Australia, now
4: let's take a look at the
0: new Geostorm
4: trailer. Thanks to a system of satellites, natural disasters have become a thing of the past. We can control our weather. Mr. President, one of our thermospheric satellites malfunctioned over Afghanistan.
0: This wasn't a malfunction. It was intentional.
2: There's potential for catastrophic weather events on a global scale. A geostorm
1: Oh, <laughs> spare me! I thought we were over these films. These films, these like these big, grand end of the world Independence Day. Oh, it's very 90s, 90, yeah. It uh, tw- wasn't there a movie called 2012? Yeah. Once upon which a time, was, where the which world. Which kind is? of felt like yes. the
3: last statement anyone needed to make, like of the like yeah. kind of Roland Emmerich. Um, yes. giant disaster films. I mean,
1: I thought we were done. I thought we were done. We're over it. Th-
3: and also when that that form has advanced and changed and moved forward, it just seems like looking at a trailer for GeoStorm go, "Well, we, we've kind of passed this point, guys. Spielberg's War of the Worlds was a more of a, di- was a disaster film, like an advancement of that form. Or films like Cloverfield, they're still playing with the same basic structure that is so predictable and so dull. It honestly looked like The Day After Tomorrow just had a really crap baby, like re- le- watching the Geostorm trailers. Like, I've seen this. It's also somewhat problematic that the release date has been pushed
0: back and back and back, so it may be that it's a disaster movie in more yeah, ways than one. Which is
3: becoming an increasingly... Severe problem with particularly in Australia. Like, did we just films get pushed back all the time? It's hard to keep excited about something when you don't know when it's turning up.
1: Also, stay with me on this like crazy train of thought I'm about to go down. The concept itself is the powers that be in the world have decided that nature is destroying the earth and there's all these disasters happening, so they decide to control the weather. Instead of solving the issue of climate change, they decide to take more power and more control and it ends up kicking them in the ass. And to me, that's frightening because that actually seems almost plausible because we are in such a stupid place in the world right now that we are now making these films.
3: It doesn't contribute to the discussion about what we've done or are doing to the planet. It feels a very very ill-timed concept for a disaster film yes but
4: you guys know that there's that whole haven't you heard of harp h-a-a-r-p which is the project harp which is this thing that is is about controlling the weather it's a it's a bit of a conspiracy but somewhere apparently it's either extremely real or extremely fake um but it's one of it's one of the two and it's about yeah controlling the weather and that it's already happening so maybe it's just them letting us know very subtly that this is something we need to get used to I also love the idea that this whole film feels like somebody thought of the tagline and then was like so how do we write a film about this cuz the tagline <laughs> is taking the world by storm
5: yeah.
4: and it's like H- how how could we take the world by storm let's literally take the whole world by a storm <laughs> isn't
3: that what like the sci-fi channel is supposed to be doing with things like Sharknado isn't that where those films belong they belong in like straight yeah. to oh, well. video B-grade horror, a Netflix original,
1: in the the Netflix abyss. When
3: Hollywood is, you know, we've gone through one of the worst blockbuster seasons in a long time with lots of films. Well, Jess is about going to talk about, um, but it feels like a very ill thought out idea because I really don't see people going out for this one.
1: No.
4: I just also love that any old random scientist can just get shoved into space nah. without any training. Go for it. Done. <laughs> Off you go.
1: It's no ordinary scientist. It's Gerard Butler, okay?
4: Right. He can do literally everything yeah. and anything he wants. He's already
1: saved the president. Now he's about to save the world from, like, clouds and stuff.
4: Clouds are scary, man. <laughs> he is an expert
0: at bad disaster films.
1: <laughs> that he is.
0: Mm. Well, now it's time for some movie news and first up this week we have the top picks from this year's Melbourne International Film Festival. Now in its 66th year, it's set to be a spectacular 18 days from the 3rd to the 20th of August and organizers this week have dropped the full program. Here is what we know. The festival will open with Wolf Creek director Greg McLean's thriller, Jungle, starring Daniel Radcliffe, while the first Australian film from Ben Elton, Three Summers, will screen at the Centipiece Gala. There's a huge focus on Australian films this year. Just some of the screenings on offer include the brilliant rom-com, Ali's Wedding, Melissa George, Ewan Leslie and Ed Oxenbold's romantic tale, The Butterfly Tree, Cycling documentary All For One, Mountain, Jennifer Peetum's follow-up to the internationally renowned Sherpa, David Wenham's directorial debut Ellipsis, and Jane Campion's highly anticipated sequel to the series Top Of The Lake, China Girl, will be showing. We also have some amazing international offerings from the director of The Lobster Comes, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is getting rave reviews for its star Nicole Kidman. While Force Majeure director Ruben Ostlund's film The Square will be a hot ticket on the heels of its Khan Palme d'Or win. Plus we'll see God's Own Country, which has been called a British Brokeback Mountain, but better, Charlie Hunnam's The Lost City of Z, Aussie Danielle McDonald's raved about debut in Patty Cakes, along with classic films from some of Australia's greatest female filmmakers. And Switch will be covering all the action at this year's Mif with reviews and interviews on the ground. In the meantime, check out my festival feature article now at maketheswitch.com.au.
1: A recent article posted on VanityFair.com cited Hollywood Insiders blaming the review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes for recent big-budget failures with Baywatch and the latest Pirates of the Caribbean film, The Main Focus. Baywatch, which received just 20% freshness, starring Zac Efron and The Rock, could only muster $153 million at the box office, which is barely more than double its budget. And if you break it down even further, that's $15 million per boob. And yes, I'm including Dwayne Johnson's pair. While Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Men Tell No Tales sits at 29%, the lowest-rated film of the franchise, with a budget of 230 million, they currently sit at a little over 700 million worldwide. The Mummy didn't fare much better, but on the flip side, films like Twilight and the Transformers franchises flourish despite these low scores. So, the site's popularity has increased dramatically over the last five years with a film score now being reported just as prominently alongside its box office earnings. So, I pose this. With the cost of a ticket ever on the rise, especially since the introduction of 3D and tricked-out cinemas, and with the ever-changing way people are actually viewing movies with streaming services being in everyone's living room, are people just being more careful with how they spend their hard-earned dollars or have audiences actually started paying attention to reviews? Guys?
3: i think it's the latter why why do you think that
0: i think it's uh i think it's got something to do with the fact that essentially in this day and age people love the idea of convenience especially the younger audiences and to be able to go to a one-stop shop where you can get a figure which represents whether a film is good or whether a film is bad is determining a lot of people's judgment and that's not necessarily a bad thing uh i think a lot of the time it actually means that people are not seeing bad films. People aren't seeing those traditional Hollywood blockbusters that they once might have spent their money on and gone, well, this is, you know, just a, quote, mindless action film or whatever the case may be. They're now looking for things which have a bit more quality and have a bit more buzz around them. And I think that's where Rotten Tomatoes has really uh, helped the movie business. But it does mean that Hollywood really needs to pick up their socks in terms of putting out good quality films.
3: Yeah, I think it I think it's that. I mean, when all those films that you listed, Jess, I for me personally, and I love a damn good blockbuster, but then none of those are films I ever had any desire to see. They aren't ideas that excite me. They aren't ideas that make me want to run out to the cinema. Another Transformers film or another Pirates of the Caribbean film or another reboot of another film that doesn't seem to have a reason. Mm -hmm. Yes, there was a time where a Transformers film was impenetrable, where the terrible reviews had no bearing on it. But we're in a period where the ideas are becoming so derivative. The audiences aren't coming out for the same crap over and over again i honestly like i was really surprised this morning when i read that baby driver has done very well in the states Uh, i thought that it probably wouldn't because it was so it's such a distinctive film
0: which is sitting at high 90s on rotten tomato at the moment
3: yeah um but then like you look at a film like wonder woman which got fabulous reviews and a very high score and a similar thing happening with um with spider-man that yes they're paying attention to it but It doesn't mean that the audiences are going against the idea of a blockbuster they're just going for the idea of a blockbuster that works and if the critical response is a unanimous positive response um then it's it it makes sense that people would use that as an indicator of where they should go
1: yeah absolutely like hollywood is blaming the reviews but the reviews come as a result of you giving us a shit product Stop making a shit product. Stop making a product that no one asked for. You know, like King Arthur was another quote unquote victim of this. Like mm. no one asked for a King Arthur remake, and so no one saw it. But someone out there in Hollywood was saying, "Yeah, let's do this and let's make it." Um, I read on I read online that there was actually plans for six of these films, mm. and there will not be a second. I can tell you that much. Oh,
3: like they're saying that there's going to be five Spider-Man films in this arc. It's like, guys, that's a bit excessive. But then you look at, like, what was the big cultural touchstone film of last year, regardless of whether what your opinion of the film or not, was La La Land, an independent musical. Like... Who would have ever expected that that would happen in the midst of all of the blockbusters that were coming up?
0: But it was something that was unique and something yeah, that was quality absolutely. and it was something that had that buzz and I think that's what's missing from a lot of Hollywood films. People are thinking that it's just a Sausage Factory pumping out the same content over and over again, which
3: it, to be honest, largely is. Sausage Factory being the operative word in a lot of cases as well. Quite the apt metaphor. Look, Wonder Woman, a female-driven... Uh, superhero film directed by a woman like and it's made a tremendous amount of money and has had tremendous reviews it's like also audiences are just getting a little bit sick of you know the same masculine explosive crap i think it's yeah it's also that thing of like, we we're out we're moving out of that period we they want something else
4: Also, look, I am always really sceptical when I hear something like this, like an article posted on Vanity Fair. Who paid Vanity Fair to write an article that's like, wow, Rotten Tomatoes is killing our industry. It's like, no, guys, you're killing your industry by creating a fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movie and a remake. Oh, fifth. Jesus, I've missed a couple. No, you Um, haven't. You know. Stop blaming other people. Like, re- let's reviews. Come on, it's a bunch of people like us. You know, I don't feel like I'm that influential in the long run. At the
3: same time, seven hundred million dollars is a lot of money. Like, that's more than the budget of that film. To go in and say that's, I also find it really bizarre the concept of what they do, they classify as a flop or a disappointment. It's like that's a lot of money. You've made your budget back. It is a lot, a lot of money. You know, Warcraft was a, was a bomb in the States, but it made a ridiculous amount of money in China, I think. Usually it is China, yes. You can't really, you know, claim, oh, we've been hard done by when your film is making a lot of money.
0: It's not just about making back the production budget. On top of that, you then also have advertising budgets and all those other extra costs to distribute the the film worldwide so there's actually a massive massive amount more money than just the production budget that needs to be made back and i think that's where some of these films especially the ones that which need the extra helping hand are losing out financially
1: I'd also like to throw out there that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, films like the Twilight franchise, they got appalling scores on Rotten Tomatoes, yet they made serious, serious bank. So that's an audience telling Hollywood what they want to see and not the other way around. And I'm hoping that this will change things, that they that Hollywood stop forcing movies down our throats that no one wants and start listening to the people that are coughing up $20 plus dollars to see their product, like especially in Australia. We have the fifth highest ticket price in the world, and it's, it's a lot of money.
0: Well, let's move from bad movies to good ones, and there are some great Aussie films popping up in film festivals across the country this year. Making its world premiere at the Revelation Perth International Film Festival is Watch the Sunset, a new indie film from Aussie filmmakers Tristan Barr and Damien Lipp that was shot in one continuous take. I spoke to them about their experience.
2: See, that's the thing that separates us from the animals. The politicians, the fucking law. We. We hold people accountable.
4: You sound like one of them. I am one of them!
0: Tristan, Damien, thanks so much for joining us. No, is it all Charlie? Tristan, first to you. As the film's co director, co writer, co producer, and star, you seem fairly qualified to explain what the story of Watch the Sunset is all about.
5: So it's uh, about a, a biker gang member on the run from his gang. And basically the story of the one shot takes place an hour after this big incident with the Bikie Gang happens.
0: Damien, how did you go about tackling the project?
2: From day one, that's when I tackled it. So Tristan and I, at the beginning, we went up to Kerrang, which is well, my hometown where I grew up. And um, yeah, Tristan wanted to shoot a scene up there and saw that the locations were really close to one another and said, I really want to do a shot, like a single take scene. And then he came up with the idea of Watch the Sunset. And then we went away and just said, why don't we shoot the whole thing in one take and we'll just run with that idea.
0: Deciding to film in one continuous shot is definitely ambitious. How did you go about planning something like that? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's... uh...
5: It's a nightmare, to say the least. We basically rehearsed in many different kind of environments, like a play, really, for months beforehand. And then once we got to the actual town that we shot it in, um, then we kind of had to problem solve a lot of the technical moves. And, yeah, eventually it all came together. And it was kind of like a dance. The The cinematographer had to know his positions um, as well as the actors. Um, and, and as well, the, the lighting um, had to be specific as we end with the sun in a, a very crucial location.
0: As if the setup wasn't quite complex enough, you threw a kid into the mix. Did that make things trickier?
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. And um, I've worked with a few children before in films, and obviously having the luxury of cutting when working with children is really crucial. But... In saying this, that's why the casting process for the character named Joey, uh, which ended up being Annabelle Williamson, you know, we did several rounds of auditions and they were quite physical and she was just terrific in the end. Like, we didn't actually have to to do too much to build the imaginary world. And she, like every other actor, just stuck with it. At the end of the take that we got, she's turning and, and joking with you know some of the antagonists in the film and she very much is a talented young girl. And yeah, we were very lucky to find her.
0: Damien, were there times when you were just holding your breath, hoping it would all go to plan so you didn't have to start from the beginning?
2: Well, the car chase scene really was a a really big one. like the wind blowing on the camera as it as it was outside the car could have just toppled the gimbal over being super critical not to bump the gimbal or yeah just just everything like technically everything could have gone wrong we definitely pushed all of our creative power together and yeah come up with this film
0: Watch the Sunset has just had its world premiere at the Revelation Perth International Film Festival. You must be really excited to finally get the film out in front of audiences.
5: Yeah, yeah, I'm really stoked. I love this festival and they always program such interesting films and and pioneering films. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm super proud to have the film in there i'm a bit anxious to uh to see what people think and how they react to it like every filmmaker kind of screening something for the first time is always an anxious wait but we'll, we'll see
0: well i'm really looking forward to audiences across australia getting the chance to see this at upcoming film festivals thank you so much for joining us tristan and damien i really appreciate your time
5: thank you thanks for having me charlie appreciate it man
2: thanks matey thanks a lot for that charlie
3: i'm really excited to see this film i haven't had a chance to I'm, i worked with tristan um uh, in a production a few years ago and he is an incredibly talented and exciting um, young storyteller and so i've been kind of watching the development of this film over the last few years and i can't wait to see it i'm impressed like it's ballsy a one-shot gangster crime film set through the like australian landscape like I, I i'm ex- so so pleased to hear that it's being picked up by a festival which will hopefully propel it further
0: And the boys tell me that it will appear at more film festivals across the country, so definitely keep your eyes out. Uh, And Watch the Sunset is just one of the many great films screening at the Revelation Perth International Film Festival. You can also catch Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara's A Ghost Story, Becoming Bond, which is a great doco on how Aussie George Lazenby landed the role of 007. Uh, Academy Award nominee I Am Not New Negro, Uh, the brilliant mockumentary King of the Belgians, Uh, the story of the largest horror theme park in the Southern Hemisphere, Spookers, I loved that one, plus heaps more. You can grab your ticket for Watch the Sunset and all the other films by heading to revelationfilmfest.org.
1: We also have some awesome prizes up for grabs this week. First up, we have five Blu-ray copies of the out-of-this-world thriller Life to give away. Jake Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Ferguson and Ryan Reynolds play scientists on board the International Space Station as they discover an extraterrestrial life form, but it turns out to be anything but friendly.
0: Sticking with the supernatural theme, we have five DVD copies of Planetarium to give away. Natalie Portman and Lily-Rose Depp
4: play two sisters who are able to communicate with the deceased. Also up for grabs are 10 double passes to see The Black Prince in cinemas. Based on the true story of The Last King of Punjab, the film is a historic drama that delves into the relationship between one of India's noblest kings and Queen Victoria.
3: And just for our Sydney listeners, we have five double passes to a special preview screening of the National Theatre Live's production of Obsession. Jude Law stars in the stage adaptation of the classic 1943 Italian film, which I'll also be reviewing in a few weeks on the website. For your chance to win this and all of our giveaways, head to Make the Switch, com.au forward slash comps now.
0: You can also find links to all the articles we've talked about on this week's podcast at maketheswitch.com.au. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, and don't forget to rate us and stay in touch on Twitter. I'm at charlie underscore david jess.
1: I'm miss jess underscore switch.
0: Daniel. At Daniel Lamon. And Brent. I'm at Brent C. Davidson. That's the letter, not the body of water. <laughs> Thank you, Brent.
1: <laughs> Thanks for the clarification.
0: Like it, follow it. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at MakeTheSwitchAU to stay up to date with all the latest reviews, news, news, trailers and giveaways and
3: you can find all the notes and links to everything we've discussed on this week's podcast by visiting switchcast.com.au
1: on next week's show i'll have my review of paris can wait
3: and i'll be delving into christopher
4: nolan's world war ii flick dunkirk we hope you can join us thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week